Turn to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. I will say something about that uh, memory app. Uh, I think it's it's good, uh, a good program. It's a lot easier to memorize the verses than what you may think. You know, a lot of times when we memorize verses, you have to write out the exact verse and type it all in or whatever. This one, you just have to hit the first letter of the word in each uh, in the in the verse, and you know in your head that you've got to memorize, and that's what you got to do. And it works with you to help you to memorize it. So if you're not involved in that program, uh, that might be something that will be good. Don't say you're too old to remember, because we're all just old then we can still remember. And if you can remember your old, then you can remember Bible verse. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, or say unto thee, that, uh, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many times uh, we are accused, those of us in the church, of saying that the Lord's church or this church is the only people that are going to heaven. And where they get that from is because we stress the fact that you have to do what the Bible says to do. And when you start telling people what the Bible says, they don't want to always accept that. And I think that it's important for us to understand that Jesus said, I will build my church. There's only one church. He doesn't say churches. And if you look at many of the creeds that different denominations have, you will see somewhere in there where it mentions the church of Christ. So basically what they're saying is, we want to be a part of it. And the overall picture of all the churches that are out there you know, make up the church of Christ. Well, is that true? And I think that's a question that we all need to ask ourselves to see if the answer can be found in God's Word. Many years ago, I had someone that moved into a house up the road from me whose name just happened to be Leonard White. That became a problem because at one point I received a phone call from someone who had sent me a check and wanted to know my social security number so that they could report it or fill out a 1099. And I said, I'd be happy to give you my social security number, but I didn't get a check from you. And they said, oh, well, we sent you a check. I said, well, I did not get it. Well, it turns out that the other Leonard White banked at the same bank that I banked at, went to the same doctor that I went to, and also had a phone company that I had also because he didn't pay his phone bill and they were trying to pin that one on me too. Well, how do you prove who you are? Is it just enough to say, this is mine and this belongs to me and, and that we're part of it? I don't think that that's enough. There had to be things that were done. I had to be able to prove who I was. And one of the first things they wanted to see was my signature. And so I said, send the copy of the check to my wife. She was working at that time. Send it to her. She'll tell you whether it's my signature or not. So she called and said, that's not your signature. And so we had to go through a lot of process to prove who I was and that the other guy didn't deserve the check. 
And finally, it was settled after some things had been proven. So the question about the church is, is it enough just to say that we are? That we are a part of it? When we look out there in the religious world, there are a, a, a number of, of, of churches, different denominations. I've read where there's over 3,000. I have a book at home. I've had it, I think I had it here even in the office at one point, that has all the churches in southeast Michigan. And there are a number of churches in just southeast Michigan that number into the thousands. Are all of those the church? I think that it's important that the founder has to be scriptural. The time needs to be scriptural. And who built that church it needs to be scriptural. And if we can't find it from the Bible, then it would must be unscriptural, uh, the founders or the place or the time. As Marshall Keeble used to say, if it came before the day of Pentecost, then it was too early. And if it came the day after Pentecost, then it was too late. The church that Jesus built was built on the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to look at some of the evidence that we can find that we have that will show us what, the, what proves that the church that we are a part of is what we read about in the New Testament. We see we can, there are things that identify the church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The time of that establishment of the church is important. It's very important to know that... How do we know if Jesus built a denomination or did He build what He said that He was going to do? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. And when we look at the church, it tells us there that Christ is the head of the church. And so that means that I don't have the authority. No elder has the authority. No deacon, no teacher, no regular member, no one on the outside has the authority to build the church or change the church or do anything with the church. It's the Lord's church. It belongs to Him. And when Jesus asked that question, who do men say that I am? Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a great uh, confession there. Because what's He saying? That Jesus is the Christ. What does that mean? That He's the Savior. He's the Messiah. He was the one that they were looking forward to coming. And now He's here. And Peter recognized Him as the Christ. The Savior of the world. And so, when he said that, Jesus immediately confessed Peter. Because he said, And I also say unto thee that thou art Peter. So there we have two confessions. Peter says that thou art the Christ. And Jesus says, Thou art Peter. So there's two confessions. And so Jesus then promised to build his church upon this rock. The rock, therefore, must refer either to Christ's confession or to Peter's confession. And Peter's confession is what we're going to look at because listen to what Jesus says after that. It says there's two different words that are used there in that verse that I want us to look at. It says because some have been led to believe that the church was founded upon Peter. And that's just not the case. Because Peter 
is a Petros, which is a, a, a name. And then when it says upon this rock, that's Petra. Those are the, nat- are the original language. That's the words that are used uh, in, the, in that verse. And so Peter did, or Jesus did not promise to build the church upon Peter, but upon the rock, the Petra. Instead, which was the glorious fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what the foundation of the church is all about. And there's other passages of Scripture, I think, that help us to understand that that is very true, that what Jesus built it upon was upon that confession that Peter made, not upon Peter himself. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, or 3 and verse 11, it says, For other foundations can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, and are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. So there we have other passages of the Scripture, I think, that back up the fact that Jesus, or that confession that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the confession or the foundation that the church is founded upon. We can go on into Psalms chapter 118 and verse 22 where it says, "...the stone which the builder refused is become the headstone of the corner." Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, Jesus applied that prophecy to Himself in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42. It says, "...and Jesus said unto them, Did ye not read in the Scripture the stone which the builders rejected, the same as become the head of the corner?" This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Well, what's happened when we read the story of Jesus, when we read about how He came to this earth and died and lived well, lived on this earth and then died on the cross, but while He was living, people did not want to accept Him. Oh, many did. But the Pharisees, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, scribes, lawyers, they didn't want to accept Jesus for who He was. And they rejected Jesus. And Jesus is saying that He's that stone that was rejected. He's applying that Scripture to Himself. And then Peter also applies it to Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 11, this is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. So everything was built off of Christ, off of that confession that Peter made that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. That's the foundation. Jesus Christ Himself. And so any church that's founded upon someone else cannot be the true church. And that's important. And so we can go on. I think that we see that the proof is overwhelming. This is just a few verses that we could look at. But as I briefly stated, that it's very important concerning the time of when the church was established. And you can see on the diagram that I have on the screen that the Old Testament, Old Testament prophecy point ahead to Acts chapter 2. And then after Acts chapter 2, you can see the New Testament is pointing back to that day. And that's important because Jesus lived obviously under the old law and His death caused the old law to be abolished. And now we live under a new covenant, which is the New Testament. But you can see how each one points to the day of Pentecost or Acts chapter 2. Sometimes Acts chapter 2 has been referred to as the hub of the Bible. In other words, it's the center and everything else 
goes back to it. And I think that we'll see that as we go on. But let's start by looking in the Old Testament to see what the prophecies were concerning the church that Jesus said, I will build. In Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountain, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. And He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His path. But out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Here's an Old Testament passage, a prophecy from Isaiah. And it's very detailed of what is a clue and an indicator of, about the church that Jesus said that He would build. We can go on and we can look at Micah. Chapter 4, verse 1, and it says, For in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the tops of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. So from that pass, those two passages of Scripture, we find that the church was going to be established, or this kingdom was going to be established in the last days. That all nations would flow to it, and that the house of the God of it would be the house of the God of Jacob, and the word of the Lord would go forth out of Jerusalem. So those are some of the things that we can learn that the Lord's house was to be established in Jerusalem, that the Lord's house would be exalted, and all nations would flow to it. And if you look in Acts chapter two, you can see a list of different nations that were there, people, uh, groups of people that were there on the day of Pentecost. And we can see that the time of fulfillment would be in the latter days. And so the question would be, what is this house? What is the Lord's house? Is that left for me to decide? What is the Lord's house? Or does the Bible answer that question for us? I believe the Bible answers that question for us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, where it says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church of God, which is another name for the church that Jesus built. We can find various names that it's called. We're going to look at those things in another lesson. Uh, but today I don't have time to get into all of that. But I think that we see there that the house of God is told, it is told to us that it is the church. And so we need to understand that. So the Lord's house is the church. And from Isaiah's prophecies, we learn when and where it was to be established. When is going to be in the latter days? Where is going to be in Jerusalem? And then in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says that in the days of these kings shall the God of the heavens set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. You might remember that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he saw an image, something like what we have there on the screen. And it is described in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 43. I want to read those verses for us and then we'll conclude with verse 44. It says, Thou king sawest and behold a great image. This great image whose brightness and excellence stood before thee and form thereof was terrible. 
This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet, and were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces. Then was the iron and clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together. And because of the chafe of the summer threshing hole floor, the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whithersoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowl of the heavens hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art his head of gold. And after thee shall be another kingdom inferior to thee, and a third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things, these shall in great shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes. Part of the powder's clay and part of the iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet were part of a part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdoms shall be shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle together themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Daniel is telling us here the interpretation of the dream. There's no doubt about the, the how he interprets that. The head was obviously the Babylonian Empire. We can see that in verse 38 because he's talking to the king at that particular time. And then the next one, which is the silver, the arms of silver, would be the Medo-Persian Empire. And the thighs of brass would be the Grecian Empire. And then the feet of iron and clay were the Roman Empire. And Daniel says, "...in the days of these kings shall thy kingdom be established." And so we know that Isaiah has prophesied what he has said, and now Daniel has given us even further clues that it's going to be in the days of these kings. Well, what kings? Well, we know that the church was established during the Roman Empire. And so in the fourth, uh, the fourth uh, section there, the feet of iron and clay, is where we'll see that the Lord's church was established. And so Daniel had prophesied that the kingdom would be established in the days of these kings. So we have the when, and we have the where, and now we even have it narrowed down to a smaller time frame. It's during the times of these kings. And when the house, that's when the house of the Lord, or the house of God, the church, would be established. And so then we move over into the New Testament. 
And here we can read about this kingdom from John the Baptist. Because listen to what John the Baptist says in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he's not saying it's already established. He's saying it's, it's close. It's at hand. It's close. And some people want to say that John the Baptist was the founder of the church. He's not the founder of the church. He was a forerunner. He was preparing the way for Christ. But he's saying it's at hand. And at hand doesn't mean that it's, it's happened. It's almost there. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus taught, "...the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel." So again, Jesus isn't saying that the kingdom's been established. He's saying it's at hand. It's close, but it hasn't been established yet. How do we know that? Well, because in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 9 and 10, Jesus, as He was teaching concerning prayer, He said, After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will, or, uh, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Says, Thy kingdom come. We can't pray that prayer today because the kingdom has already come. It's already been established. But Jesus is praying here, Thy kingdom come. It's it's on its way. The time has been fulfilled. It's ready. It's the time. But there's something that has to happen before that church can be established. But here Jesus is praying for the kingdom to come. At that time, the kingdom of the church had not yet been established, it is still to come. But it was near. And then in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to notice that Jesus said, I will build. He didn't say, I already have built. He said, I will build my church. That's future tense. That's down the road. Somewhere that church is going to be built. Somewhere down the road that church is going to be established. Jesus is not talking about a physical structure like this building. He's talking about a spiritual structure. In fact, he, when He was on trial, He said, My kingdom is not of this world. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing that He was going to build. He's talking about that kingdom. And He said in that particular verse, I will. He didn't say, I have. I will build My church. And then Jesus gives us yet another clue in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. When He says, Verily I say unto you, that there are to be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death until they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So there's another clue concerning the time frame. We know it's going to be in the latter days. We know it's going to be in the days of these kings. Well, the old Roman Empire is in power. We know that it's going to be in Jerusalem. And here we know that Jesus is telling us that there were some that were standing there that would not taste the death until this took place. So now it's at hand, all right. And some of you that are there, 
You're not going to die. You're, it, it, it'll be established. You'll see it established before you die. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3 that there are certain things that we need to do in order to enter that kingdom. And he says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know, that's a powerful statement when you think about a child and the trust and the faith that they have, maybe in a parent. We need to have trust and faith in God. We need to realize that what He tells us is true and what He tells us is important. And that when He expects us to, to, to when He tells us what to do, He expects us to do those things. The title of the sermon tonight is When God Says Walk. Well, you think about that. When He says walk, what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in, in, in the light? It means that we're doing His commandments. We're living the way He wants us to live. And so He's telling us that we're going to have to change. You can't go on living the life that you're living. You've got to change if you want to be a part of that kingdom. And then in Luke chapter 10 and verse 9, He says, it tells us there that He healed the sick that are therein and said unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. It's close. It's close. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, what did He say? For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Not there yet. He's still alive. He's not there yet. I will, I will build my church, but I haven't built it yet. And then in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, he says this Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endowed with power from on high. Three things that we learn from that passage of Scripture. We learn that Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead before repentance and remission of sin could be preached. And that the preaching of that message, that good news was to begin in Jerusalem. And he makes that very plain. Beginning in Jerusalem. So now we know where and we know it's going to be the start is going to be right there. And then they were to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endowed with power from on high. Those three things had to happen first. And so we can see the progression. We can see Old Testament prophecy. We can see John the Baptist talking about it. We can see Jesus talking about it. But it hasn't been established yet. We don't read anywhere where people were added to the church, added to the kingdom, until we get to the day of Pentecost, until we get to the book of Acts, chapter 2. There we'll see what took place because it was on that occasion that a lot of things happened. They were told to go to Jerusalem and tarry. We can see where Jesus had prophesied or told them that they were to go to Jerusalem, give them instruction in John chapter 14 through 16, that the Comforter would come, and that was going to happen when they uh, were endowed with this, uh, this power, that it would give them the power to bring to their remembrance the things that Jesus had taught. 
and that they would be guided in all truth. And so when they spoke, they were speaking what Jesus wanted them to speak. They were saying the things that the Lord wanted them to say. And that power came on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. You can read about it uh, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And that's when the Spirit came and descended upon them in the form of clouds. It was only the twelve that received that power. There were other people that were present on that occasion, but only the twelve had received the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible tells us that they began to preach. First, they were accused of being full of new wine. But Peter answers that question when he said that this is what was to happen in the latter days. He quoted Joel chapter 2, the prophecy from Joel. And he's saying that this is those days. So now we got someone is saying, this is that time. Isaiah said in the latter days, uh, Micah said in the later days, guess what? Now we got someone saying, this is the time. This is the time. And so the gospel was preached. And when they heard that message, they were pricked in their hearts. What message was it? That Jesus had died, that he was buried, and that he arose victorious over the grave. And that he was now ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. They had crucified him. And they recognized that, and they were convicted. Remember what Jesus said? You've got to be converted. So what did they say? Men and brethren, what shall we do? And what did Peter say? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. About 3,000 souls were added to the church on that day. Why? Because they were they did exactly what Peter said. They repented. They were converted. They were pricked in their heart by that by the Spirit, as the as the Spirit was preaching on that day. And they were baptized into Christ. And as it tells us in verse forty one, that they were added to the Lord to the church. And it was the last days, as Joel had said in Acts chapter two, verses seventeen through twenty two. And they were in Jerusalem, which is where the beginning was to be. And that's where Jesus had told them to tarry and to stay there. Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49, and Acts chapter 1 and verse 12, and Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. And it was in the days of those kings. The Roman Empire was still in, in power. In fact, you can see where some in the Roman Empire wanted to try to destroy the church, destroy Christianity. We see where in the New Testament where some were even put to death by those in authority. And six was it was in the days of some of those disciples. Remember, Jesus said that some would not taste of death until they seen the kingdom come with power. So there were some that were still there from that occasion in Mark chapter nine, and they had seen it come with power. And that power came, which was the Holy Spirit, which is found in Acts chapter 2, the first few verses there. And the beginning was when the Holy Spirit came unto the apostles. That was the beginning. Because remember, if you go back over into Acts chapter 11, you're going to see it points back to that day. Because there's where Cornelius and his household had received the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, it fell on them as it fell on us in the what? The beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of the church, the kingdom, and that scriptures point us forward 
to His coming, and then backwards to Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the what? Church daily, such as should be saved. Jesus said, I will build my church. Here we see where people are added to the church daily. So that church must have been established. And it must have been established by Christ Himself on that foundation that He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's important to know. And it's important to see where in the Bible that church started. That's all important. Because look at what I said. You know, I said that it points back to that day. Look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Who hath translated us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of of his of sin. He translates us from darkness into that kingdom. So some that want to argue that the church and the kingdom aren't the same, well they are the same because they see there that we're translated into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of Christ. And so the kingdom, the church, the house of God was now established and we see that it was established in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 to be specific. Do I want to be a part of that church? Or would I rather be one that just claims to be that church? You know, a lot of people can claim to be Leonard White. My neighbor was a Leonard White. But he didn't have a middle name that I have. And he didn't get to keep the money that I was supposed to get. And someday, guess what? People that claim to be a part of the church and really are imposters, guess what? They're going to be lost. Does that mean I'm saying that, oh, the church is the only one that's going to heaven? I guess you could say that. Because that's what the Bible says. That we have to be a part of that church. That Jesus built, and that's where we're a part of, that we get added to that church when we obey the Gospel. You say, well, that's closed-minded. You need to be a little more open-minded, preacher. I want to be just as open-minded as the Bible wants me to be. You see, any church not founded on the day of Pentecost is not the true church. This is one of the tests by which one can determine whether a church is a true church or a counterfeit church. Is it founded by Jesus Christ Himself? Or is it founded by some man or some woman who came up with their own idea of what they wanted? You know, many churches are come about because somebody didn't like what they heard preached from the Word of God. And so we shop around until we find what we want. I've had many people come through the door and tell me that they were shopping and say those words, but that's what they were doing. Looking for what they wanted. Shouldn't we really look for what the Lord wants and then be converted to do what the Lord wants us to do? You see, we need to make sure that it is the church is built upon Jesus Christ. 
that is built by Jesus Christ, that it came forth from Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And any church that does not bear these marks is not the church which Jesus promised to build. You know, maybe Rodney read that passage of Scripture for a reason. If you go to that sower, what's he sowing? The seed. What's the seed? The Word of God. If you sow the Word of God, let's say just for, for some odd reason that the church is just totally wiped out. The church that the Lord built is just wiped off the face of the earth. Does not exist. If I take this book, what do you think I'm going to have? If I plant this seed in the hearts of men. What does this book make people? Does it make them Baptist? Does it make them a Catholic? Does it make them a Methodist? Does it make them a Presbyterian? Does it make them a Jehovah Witness? This book, if it's followed correctly, will make you a Christian. Not a hyphenated Christian, a Christian. And I think it's sad that when I study with people, I sometimes have to say, I want you to be a New Testament Christian. I had somebody tell, ask me one time, what do you mean when you keep saying New Testament Christian? I said, I want you to be one that you can read about in the Bible. And so when you take the seed, you know, if they dug into a pyramid or, or some, some, some other place and they found seed and it turned out to be a thousand years old and you planted that seed, what do you think it's going to produce? Let's just say it's a wheat seed and you plant it. Are you going to get corn? You're going to get beans? You're not even going to get potatoes. You're going to get the whatever that seed was that's planted. You plant the Word of God in people's hearts unadulterated, unaltered, unchanged, and what are you going to get? A Christian. What church are you going to have? You're going to have the Lord's church. That's what we want. And if that makes me close-minded, so be it. If that means that I'm saying that some people are not going to go to heaven, so be it. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You want to enter that kingdom of heaven, you have to do the Father's will, not your will, not what someone else may say, but what the Father's will is. And Jesus tells us what we need to do, the terms of, of entry into that kingdom. And he tells us, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Is it important that we believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God? It most certainly is. Why? Because it was that Christ, the only Christ, that died for our sins, was buried and rose victorious over the grave so that we could have the forgiveness of sin and that we could have a home in heaven. That's what He tells us that we need to do in order to be saved. Believe and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And that's exactly what they did on the day of Pentecost. And the Lord added them to His church. And that's what we want. This morning, if you're not a member of God's church, then I would encourage you to become a child of His today. Don't put it off. Don't wait. We have no promise of tomorrow. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.